Come on, he deserves more than that. He's worthy today. I believe the Lord is working on somebody right now. I believe he's moving on somebody right now. In fact, we're going to do that again. We're going to do that again, but before we do, we're going to do that again, but before we do, if you're going to really see the Lord is great and greatly to be praised, you're going to have to get your eyes off of your situation. You're going to have to get your eyes off of the storm. You're going to have to get your eyes off of others. You're going to have to get your eyes off of the king that's on the throne. You're going to have to see the king of kings high and lifted up today. Amen. And when you see him, uh, you're going to want to praise him because he's worthy of all the praise. Somebody say amen. So right now, lift up your eyes spiritually and let's look unto him right now and praise him one more time. Amen. Lift up your voice and praise him one more time. Jesus, we exalt you today. You are high and lifted up. We're not going to exalt our problems above you. We're not going to exalt anything else above you, Jesus. You alone are worthy, Lord. You alone are worthy, Lord. I believe there's a miracle in this place today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Amen. Well, it's good to be in the house of the Lord today. Amen. Thank you for being here. And to all of our guests, we welcome you today. Let's give our guests another warm welcome this morning. Amen. And it is indeed a privilege. Thank you, Brother Bill, for the kind words you said. It is so good to have my mother here today. And uh, I'm, I'm glad she's here. And I give honor to her. And uh, probably without the Lord, uh, I would not be here. But a strong second behind the Lord because there's nobody greater than Him. But uh, we do have people that influence us and direct us and I wouldn't be here without the direction of my mother and her love and her prayers for me. So I'm glad she's here today. It's good to have my nephew. This is my youngest sister's son, Lisa's boy. And he is, was raised in New Orleans and now he's going to school in Jackson, Tennessee. And he's, he got to the house yesterday and he said, I hadn't had any seafood and seems like forever. And I knew what he was talking about. So... It's good to have Philip here today. We're glad he's here. Amen. And uh, uh, I am going to endeavor to preach to you today and in the next few weeks uh, in my uh, personal time with the Lord, I've been drawn in the scripture to uh, the people who saw the Lord the people who saw the Lord. Now, I'm not talking about his disciples and the 5,000 gathered that ate the food he passed out. I'm talking about those that saw him in his power, in his glory. Somebody say amen. And what I noticed when that took place, uh, when they saw him, uh, when we talk about revival, when we talk about a changed life, when we talk about what it did in their lives, there was a radical difference. There was a radical difference from when they, before they saw the Lord and after they saw the Lord. It changed everything. 
I said it changed everything. I'd like to say to you that a church can't do that. Only Jesus can do that. A club can't do that. Only Jesus can do that. Religious uh, service cannot do that. Involvement with a group of people cannot do that. Only Jesus can do that. Somebody say amen. And so I want to I want to look full in his face today. I've, it's been uh, said around my house in the last few weeks uh, that I think we ought to just sing this old chorus probably until the end of the year and then keep singing it until it really takes hold. But that old chorus that the old timers used to sing, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the eyes of His glory and grace. Yes, I'm looking up today, and there's somebody I need to latch my attention on. Amen. So I'm going to endeavor to preach today with the help of the Lord uh, from uh, a subject. In, uh, we're going to find our text in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. But before we read that, I'm going to let you be seated in just a minute. But we're going to pray and ask the Lord to be with us. Would you do that right now, Lord? I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for those that are here today. I pray now against every distraction. I pray now, Lord, that everything that would hinder, Lord, everything that would distract us, I pray right now, Lord, there would be a settling in this congregation. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray for us to hear the word for... Uh, in that word is life, O oh God, and I pray, Lord, through the preached word of God that there would be life given forth to this congregation today. In Jesus' name, we praise you for it. I feel your spirit here today, Lord. I ask you to have your way. And everybody said, in Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him I'm glad you're sitting beside me today. Amen. You can be seated. In the name of the Lord, thank you for being in the house of the Lord. You may be seated. Three things I want to look at today, and I'll probably continue with it as we continue in different subjects. But uh, when we talk about people that saw the Lord, what was their life like before they saw Him? What was the result of them seeing Jesus and and then uh, I believe it's, it's very important for us to recognize what took place after they saw him. Somebody say amen. And today I want to draw your attention to Acts chapter 9 verse 1. And Saul yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any in this way, whether they be men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me and he said who art thou Lord and the Lord said I am Jesus whom thou persecutest I like verse 5 me and brother Mike like verse 5 
I really like verse 5. No question about who the Lord is. I am Jesus whom thou persecutest, and it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And trembling and astonished said, Lord, what will thou trembling and astonished? And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him uh, with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. Saul saw the Lord. And when he saw him, he trembled and was astonished. Now, if you were a part of the early church, Saul would be the last person that you would have thought would have ever had a meeting with Jesus Christ. He was on the outside. He was an opponent of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That just lets us to know that you can't count anybody out. (laughs) No matter what they're doing or how vehemently they're denying the gospel or Jesus Christ, amen, Jesus has the final word. (laughs) And if you are a part of that early church, Saul would have been the last one that you would have thought would have seen Jesus Christ. But Saul knew he had met a supernatural being. He was persecuting the church, he thought, but he found out that he was persecuting Jesus Christ. That voice revealed himself as Jesus Christ. I must say today, be careful what you do against the body. Be careful what you do to persecute the body of Christ because you are doing it in essence to Jesus Christ himself. But in later years, as you read in the Gospels, in fact, this man that I read in this encounter in Acts 9, when he fell trembling and astonished, blind to the ground on the road to Damascus. It would be really the thesis of what he would talk about through the two-thirds of the New Testament that he would write. For the Bible tells us that in later years, Paul, who was known as Saul, would tell of the effects of this moment throughout the rest of his life. He never was the same again. It changed his direction. It changed his life. I'm not talking about going through a 12-step program and trying to learn how to chain the dog in your chest. I'm talking about a life change that nothing else is ever the same again. I'm talking about meeting Jesus and your life never being the same again. I want to tell you today, you need more than therapy. You need Jesus You need more than advice. You need the gospel. And the gospel is good news today. I've got good news for somebody today in this church. 
Oh, anybody believe that Jesus changes lives? Would you give him a hand clap of praise today? I've been challenged because the preacher is supposed to preach the good news. I'm not supposed to give good advice. The good news can be good advice, but I am commanded to preach the good news today. So I've not come to beat you up with a billy club. I've come to give somebody good news today. I've come to encourage somebody this morning. I've come to lighten your load a little bit. Not me, but the Spirit of God wants to encourage you to help you to leave here joyful and encouraged because of what Jesus has done for you. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody on the road of doing your own thing and all of a sudden you met the Lord and he changed your whole life. I got a few hands up today. Paul would never forget it. In fact, five times in the two-thirds of the New Testament that he wrote, five times he refers to it twice in Acts. In Galatians 1 and 2, in Romans chapter 7, and then in Philippians chapter 3. It is in this final reference in Philippians that Paul tells of the inner effect of what happened on that Damascus road when he saw Jesus. When the writer in Acts says, we know that he trembled and was astonished, but Paul said something was going on in me that was cataclysmic. Something happened in me that shook me to my very core and I could never be the same again. And Paul, in writing the book of Philippians, he tells of what happened on the inside. Everybody say, on the inside. And so as I gather this sermon today, let's look at three things. What kind of man saw Jesus that day? What, who Jesus was on that day? And the difference it made from that day on. So let's start there. What kind of man saw Jesus that day? Well, Saul describes himself as being full of pride, though at the time he was totally unaware of it. That's the unusual thing about pride. You can be quite full of it and not even know you have it. Oh, it's getting quiet. One thing's for sure is that Saul, by his own admission, says the kind of man that saw Jesus that day was full of pride and didn't know it. Didn't know it. He was, uh, I, I think we find it, Philippians 3 and 5, we find where he was so proud of who he was. He writes in Philippians 3, I was circumcised the eighth day. Circumcision set him apart. It made him a special man. He was special. Oh, my goodness, the water's running today. For those of you that can't see, I just dropped the water bottle. Thank you, Brother Jesse. <laughs> that one is going to really do great. <laughs> My goodness. All right, thank you. That's good. That'll work. That'll work. Thank you, Brother Jesse. They don't make them like Jesse anymore. Linnell, you found a, a prize right there. 
Everybody else in this room was too proud to do what he just did, but he did it. Bless him, Lord, it's right. Saul was proud of who he was. Philippians 3, circumcised, that set him apart. Somebody say amen. And then he says, I was, and we can just leave it up there, I was the stock of Israel. The stock of Israel means he was no hidden Gentile proselyte. He was born a Jew. Then he says, I was of the tribe of Benjamin, and you can hear his voice getting more haughty as he describes. He's describing here in Philippians 3, this is how I met Jesus on the road to Damascus. I was a special man, born in a special nation. I was in a special tribe, the tribe that gave Israel her first king. I was a Hebrew, there it is, a Hebrew of Hebrews. And when he says that, he says, I was a part of the dispersion when Israel was carried away into captivity. But my family did not acclimate in Babylon. My lineage did not acclimate to the customs of the nation. They No, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. We kept the Sabbath. We kept the Passover. Even though we were in a strange land, my fathers and my grandfathers, they kept the, the, the customs of the people of God. You hear him. He, he's proud. Pride is evident about who he is. Then not only is he proud of who he is, he's proud of his religious function. And this is the danger. Religion is not bad, but, but the danger of religious things is that all of a sudden arrogance can get a hold of you. If you're not careful, somebody say amen. Look at the last phrase, a Pharisee. Everybody say a Pharisee. These were the orthodox people of his day. They believed the Bible, uh, the Old Testament, and they held firmly to old doctrines. To be a Pharisee was to put a man right up there, top shelf, top shelf, top shelf. Far above the Sadducees, the liberals, who excluded certain scriptures, who didn't believe the whole Bible like we do. <laughs> All the while in him, there's a little bit that says, oh God, I'm so glad I'm not like those people. Who would want to be a part of the Sadducees anyway? It's pretty sad, you see, to be a Sadducee. Don't want to be one of those liberals. And Paul said, no, I was a Pharisee. I, I held to old stuff. I was, I was walking on the old highway. I, I was one of those that was holding to the truth. Oh, is anybody hearing what I'm saying now? Full of pride, full of who he was, full of what he was, who he was religiously. And then not only that, full of pride about what he was doing. Look at Philippians 3, 6, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. I, I, I was zealous. I, I wasn't just these folks that were this crazy stuff that was happening. I wasn't going to sit by and let it happen. I, I was, I was going to get involved. I was going to push back. I'm not going to let this happen on my watch. And what an awesome day when the Sanhedrin authorized Saul to go to Damascus and hunt down Christians 
and bring them down to Jerusalem. We know from the reading of Acts 7 that this man was the one holding the coats of those who put Stephen to death. We know what Saul was all about. He probably felt like his certificate or whoever signed his license, whoever authorized him with letters because the Bible indicates he was carrying paperwork. He was authorized by a religious movement. No, you're not hearing me. He was authorized by a religious movement to let his zeal burst out. Imagine the certificate. They're taking note of me, he thought. I'm really up and coming. Everybody thinks I'm the next big dog. All his feelings were corroborated by the Sanhedrin. His identity all of a sudden was on a rocket ship. He felt like he had a mission from God. He felt like he was doing the right thing. And all that became a part of his righteousness. Oh, you didn't hear me. I said all of that became a part of what made him righteous. Full of pride and doesn't even know it. Then not only that, he doesn't just say concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. He goes on to say touching righteousness, which is of the law or in the law, blameless. He, didn't, he had no fault. He had done the law, kept all the rules, self-discipline to the point of being blameless. Remember, this isn't somebody else saying he's blameless. Blameless. This is Paul saying he's blameless. If in any part of my heart do I ever say, I thank you, God, that I'm not as other men. Is there any part in me that says, you know, I go to this church and I do this and I do that. Do I ever let it begin to engender pride in me? And if it does, I need to see Jesus again that's what I really need to see we think we, we seem to think that provided we keep a few certain rules and I and I think it's okay to read in the Bible what pleases God and try to live the way he wants me to live can I get an amen I don't believe that's archaic but that's not my righteousness <laughs> No, I'm going to say it again. That's, what not, that's not what makes me right with God. What makes me right with God is that I have a relationship with Him. And I walk with Him and I talk with Him. Come on, somebody clap your hands under the Lord today. I hurry. Jesus, help us. That's the man that saw Jesus full of Himself. If I could put it this way, he was a man going up. He was a man going up. He was headed for high things. What happened that day on the road to Damascus? Who did Saul see on that fateful day? We know. He heard a voice saying, I am Jesus. Anybody glad about that? But there's so much there. The Bible says when he heard, I am Jesus, that he began to tremble. And he was astonished. He was shocked that the Lord was Jesus. No, he was astonished. Jesus. This is the supernatural being that I am seeing. But wait, 
That's the man we put to death on the cross. Wait, that's the man that an entire nation moved against. He was an imposter. He was a fake. He was a criminal. But when Saul heard that voice that said, I am Jesus, he was astonished. And the Bible said he had such a vision that he was smitten with blindness. The effect of that road on that road of Damascus would settle in on Paul for the rest of his life. That supernatural person that he encountered was God. Is anybody with me today? I hope I'm not preaching by myself. That supernatural person that Saul encountered was God. And that God simply stated who he was. He said, I am Jesus. Then what Saul realized is the one we put to death on the cross was God in the flesh. Now, astonished then what he declared about himself must be true. And the rest of us, although arrogant, although proud, although holding to the truth, the rest of us must have been terribly wrong. No, you're not hearing me. I'm preaching to apostolic people that you got blue blood running through your veins. You got so many apostolics buried in graveyards, you could stand up and say, I've always been this. But I want to say to you, friend, we need to see Jesus again in a, oh, in a, in a drastic way. This church needs to see him. You need to see him. I need to see him. Don't clap your hands under the Lord. When I see him, that means, that means although I've got a lot of zeal, although I got a lot of passion, although I got my document signed, that means I was terribly wrong. For him to die on a cross meant if this is God and he just said I am Jesus for him to die on a cross means he's got to come down a long way down from so great a height to so great a depth. And for whom did he do it? He did it for me. No wonder Saul can't see anything else. You don't need to see anything else when you recognize that the God, oh, that the God, help me, brother Rob, that the God of heaven came way down and he did it for you. I got good news for you. He's for you, not against you. He wants to save you, not throw you in a devil's hell. He wants you to come up, not go down. Oh, come on, clap your hands under the Lord. Oh, clap your hands under the Lord. 
If I'm Jesus, oh, oh, <laughs> he's trembling. He's so astonished. In fact, years later, Paul mentions what he really perceived on that day in those moments. I'd like to find out what it is, wouldn't you? If he's so shook by this voice that says, I am Jesus, then, then what was it, Paul, that was going on inside of you? Turn to Philippians 2. It's going to appear here, but if you want to take the journey in your Bible, Saul describes the person that he saw that day. And he starts in Philippians 2 and 5 with an admonition to us. Let this mind be in you. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The word their mind is disposition. Let the disposition of this man be your disposition. This is why the Bible says that he will not turn aside the contrary, the contrite heart. He will not cast aside those that humble themselves. Why? Because the mind of Christ is a mind of humility. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Well, what is that mind? How many of you like to know what that mind is? I want that mind. I want, well, yeah, just keep reading. Who being in the form of God <laughs> thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now, I don't want to make you nervous, all you oneness people. But can there be any higher place that the man Christ Jesus who was in the form of God said, yeah, the, the word literally means he counted it not a prize to be equal with God. He hears God in the flesh and he's coming down and he could take up residence and say, hey, I'm, and he, in his way, brother, brother Blake said it, you know, he said, I forgive your sins. And the Pharisees said, wait, wait, only God can forgive sins. I mean, he's trying to show them, isn't he? But he also is... He, he's going down. He's a, he's a man coming down. He's God in the flesh coming down to dwell with us. He counted it not a prize to be God, but he became man. A prize, if you don't have it, it's something to get a hold of. If you do have it, it's something you don't want to let go. And, and the Bible says this man Jesus who was oh, the fullness of the Godhead bodily to wit God was in Christ. This man said I, I've got a prize but I'm going to let it go. I'm going to relinquish it. <laughs> How unlike us How unlike us, so unlike Saul. This is what he sees on Damascus Road. He sees the God of heaven and earth who came all the way down. So unlike me, Saul says, 
how many things he counted as a prize. And he said, I thought all this was important, but when I saw the man coming down, when I realized what he, I would to God, I was 25 years old. I'd preach this as hard as I could preach it, but I'm just about out of strength. But when I think about what Jesus did, Paul goes on to tell us what he did. Verse 6, he says, he was in the form of God, but he, he, he counted it not a prize to be equal to God. He, he relinquished his, his, his deity. His, he came in the form of a man. <laughs> Philippians 2 and 7, he emptied himself. He goes on, but made himself of no reputation and took on himself the form of a servant. No wonder he's laying in the dirt of that Damascus road shaking and astonished because he finally realizes the God of heaven emptied himself out for me. Now you got, you got to hear this preacher today. He did that for you. You. Dear Lord. Huh. He, he made, the authorized said, he, no reputation, he emptied himself. He said farewell to his identity, his exaltation. What a costly renunciation. And when Saul sees this, I am Jesus, instantly. Notice the Bible said he took on him the form of a servant. Look at it, it's up there. Everybody say servant. That word right there. You've all got a Greek lexicon. You, got, you can look up the original word. The word here is doulos, slave. Everybody say slave. In fact, it appears many times in Scripture, and every time it's translated as slave. But we are so slave, the term is so repulsive because slaves have no rights. They don't work in a union. They can't get better wages. This is the only place doulos is used where the translators in fact if you've got a lexicon you'll see out to the side they put slave. But it's so foreign to put Jesus and slave in the same sentence that this is the only place they wouldn't put slave. They put servant. But the word is slave. He became a slave for me. <laughs> no wonder he's shaken. No wonder he's astonished. It's almost as if they couldn't put the bold facts that Jesus took the position of a slave. It's so shocking the thought. It's utterly unacceptable in our social structure. But that is the position Jesus took for me. The one who gave up all his rights and had no rights for me. He let them tread upon him for me. 
He let them slap him in the face and pull his beard and blindfold him and say, Ha, prophet, tell us who it is that hit you. He never resisted. He never opened his mouth. And Saul said, He did that for me. Verse 8. What else did he see that day? He writes it. This is the, the ground from which it springs. Verse 8. And being found in the fashion of a man, being a man, he not only emptied himself, God emptied himself, made no reputation, clothed himself in a body. Now he humbles himself. Becomes obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Here we see the man coming down. What an embarrassment it is to the man going up. Saul on the road to Damascus, headed for awesome things, skyrocketing. Letters to prove it. The man going up met the man coming down. In fact, if you want to title this one, title it that. When the man going up met the man coming down. It changed his life. For in Philippians 2 and 8, he says he not only emptied himself, but he humbled himself. Somebody say he humbled himself. See, our concept of power is to humble other people, make them feel bad. But God, but the concept of power to God is to humble himself. Jesus submitted himself to all sorts of indignities that Saul would have never tolerated. But he humbled himself in an even greater way. The Bible said he humbled himself to the point of death. Everybody say death. This is a supreme act of self-humiliation. He didn't have to die. But he humbled, him, oh, he humbled himself to death. He was willing. It was not his duty, Brother Blake. He was willing. He said in that garden, not my will. He was willing as an act of obedience to give up his very right to live. Surely this is the lowest that he can go. No, for the next phrase, submitting himself unto death, even the death of the cross. The lowest place of all, the place of utter disgrace. There are all kind of deaths. There's death on a bed, death in a field of battle, death in your bedroom surrounded by your family. There's nothing disgraceful about these deaths. But Jesus didn't die on a bed. He didn't die in a room surrounded by his friends and family. He didn't die on a field of battle with much glory. No, he died on a cross, a place reserved for criminals. And he died like that out in the open for everybody to see. <laughs> oh, I know you, you've read Philippians 3 so many times. I hope you realize what Paul is saying here, that this is what happened to him on the road to Damascus. He realized, oh, it's like Sister Mangan used to sing. 
when the Savior reached down for me. He had to reach way down for me. I was lost and undone. Oh, I wish you'd just raise your hands and worship the Lord for just a minute. I, I'm going to take a, a break here just a minute. Come on. Would you lift your hands and worship the Lord right now and thank Him for the cross? He died like that. I hurry to a close. It's 11.54. I'm going to apologize now if I make your dinner just a little later. But I'm going to say this. He died like a criminal in open shame. In fact, there was even a criminal on a cross on the right side and another criminal on a cross on the left side. So it's obvious to any observers that this man was a criminal. Like Isaiah said, we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God. That's how we thought of Jesus. And here's an amazing fact. Here's an amazing fact. He never hurried up to tell them he wasn't a criminal at all. He never once said, you got it all wrong. I'm not a criminal. No. That he was dying because they were criminals. They were criminals. He never stated, I'm dying because you're the criminal. No. He just let them believe that he was the criminal. The Bible says he opened not his mouth. He let them think what they wanted to think. In other words, he let go of every man's most precious possession, his righteousness. You're not going to treat me that way. Oh, I'm preaching to blue-blooded Americans. We think Jesus has an American flag standing beside the throne. You're not going to treat me that way. I've got rights, and the Constitution says it. But this man emptied himself of every right. Try that on for size. The man you're going to look in his eyes when you hear the words well done is the one that let go of every possession, even his right. He let go of what Job would not let go of. For 36 chapters, Job's telling his friends, I haven't done anything. I'm righteous. I'm okay. You've got it wrong. Job blabbed his mouth for 36 chapters. And in the end, when he finally hears God, he says, oh, wait, oh, wait, 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 I'm undone. Yeah, see, in fact, Jesus was content to be numbered with the sinners. The God of heaven closed his mouth when he was numbered with failure. He didn't say anything. He's a criminal. We're going we're gonna to silence him. And that was the bottom. And Saul was the man going up. And Jesus was the man coming down. But his life changed when the man going up met the man coming down.
In fact, when he met the man that came down, it broke him. That's what Saul saw. That's what he saw. He saw how far Jesus had come down. And it took him three days of blindness to see it. He saw the brokenness, what I call the brokenness of deity. Come on, sister. We're going we're gonna to play a little music. We're going to come to the altar and pray. He saw the brokenness of deity. Let me put it this way. As I was praying and preparing and thinking in the last 10 to 14 days, this is the best way I can put it. For centuries, for thousands of years, God has tried to bring man to accept the blame. No, okay. Read your Old Testament. For thousands of years, God has tried to bring man to accept the blame. Why? To embarrass us? No. So, we know that he's not willing that any should perish. Why do you say to Adam, Adam, why are you hiding? Who told you? All these questions in the garden. Adam, come on. Come on. Just say it. God's been trying to get man to accept the blame so that he might forgive him, restore him. <laughs> Think of the law. Think of it. All of you that like to, oh, we're not bound by the law. Woo! We can do what we want. Wait, think of what the law was for. Why is the speed limit 25 on Airport Road? It's not for those that go 23. It's for the lawless. The law is for the lawless. It's trying to get the guy who's disobeying to say, wait a minute, I'm not obeying the law. For thousands of years, Judy, God is trying to get man to accept the blame. Just say, I'm the reason. I messed up. And that's what we think forgiveness is. But wait. <laughs> Let me ask you, Brother Pate, did the law work? God showing Connor, look, here's how many ways you've offended me. Accept the blame. Didn't work. Kathy, didn't work. The Bible says it didn't work. Why? Because the law was weak in the flesh. We couldn't ever do it. As hard as we try, we were never going to live up to it. We were never going to accept the blame. We were going to blame somebody else. Come on. So God could never get us to accept the blame. The law had no power to make man repent because it was weak in the flesh. And if man will not take the blame, listen, you don't hear anything else, hear this. At some point, Saul is laying astonished and shaking on the road to Damascus because he finally realized 
that God said, if man is not going to take the blame, there's only one thing left for me to do. I'm going to take the blame. Oh, I know that's shocking to you, but the Bible says he took our sin. The chastisement of our peace was on him. The blame was on him. That's what's happening at Calvary, Brother Blake. It's the judgment of sin from God is on Jesus Christ on that cross. That's why today, in the sight of God, you're blameless. <laughs> because he took my blame. <laughs> No wonder Saul got up from that dusty road and sat three days in the darkness. And when he finally got his eyes open and received the Holy Ghost and was baptized, man, he didn't go back to the Pharisee school of law. He threw his papers away. If he would do that for me, I got good news for you today. He did that for you too. That is exactly what God did in the man Christ Jesus on the cross. He took my blame. He took my guilt. He took my place. And when Saul saw that, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. Philippians 3, verse 7. What kind of man exited this meeting? Who he was before, who Jesus was when he saw him. What kind of man exits that encounter? Well, Bible school, you're not supposed to read this long of a text. But I'm sorry, I'm going to read it. Philippians 3, they tell you when you're preaching, you know, keep it short verses and that kind of stuff. People get, Sorry. Philippians 3, 7, how did he exit that meeting that day? But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Oh, you remember it? I'm this close to losing it. Yeah, this is, this is the ground where all this springs from. He says, I have lost all things and count them but dumb. Why? That I might win him and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Here we go. Being made conformable. I want to I go. I want to 
condescend just like he did, being made conformable to his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. He's, I got a long way to go. But oh, I follow after. I saw him that day, and I can't ever forget what he did for me. I'm following after, if that I may apprehend that for which I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Somebody needs to hear this word. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You know what Paul is saying? He's saying, I lost it all that day. I lost it all. The Pharisee took his place with all the sinners. He saw such love that he didn't know where to put himself, how to hide his face. He was a broken man. The brokenness of deity provoked the brokenness of the creature. It was as if he cried, No, Jesus, you're not the criminal. No, you're not guilty. I'm the criminal. And finally, the man coming down elicits, elicits the response that he's been looking for. Saul finally says, no, it's not you that needs help. I need help. What the law could not do, Jesus has done. And he did it by dying on a cross. Anybody glad? Anybody thankful? Anybody get a new vision of him today? I was the man going up, but I met the man coming down, and it changed my life. Come on, stand and give Jesus a hand clap of praise today. Come on. Come on, cry out with a loud voice. Lord, it's not you that was guilty, I'm guilty. It's not you that's guilty, I'm guilty. And, and, what, and what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. It just kept reminding us how short we've come. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemns sin in the flesh. I got good news for you today. He did it for you. You don't have to live another day bound. You don't have to live another day religious. You don't have to live another day going your own way. Paul not only lost all things that used to be games, but he actually suffered the loss of them. He dropped out of society in the circles of influence that he'd known. He was treated by the authorities as a criminal. He was hunted down. But we find where Paul didn't miss those things, he counted them as rubbish, he says. The man going up 
was content to be the man coming down with Jesus. This changes many things for us. Our attitude, our righteousness, our reputation. In fact, what good is all of it anyway? It never saved me from sinning. Oh, and I thank God. I'm glad to have my mother here. And I thank God for the apostolic heritage that I have. But I want to tell you what good is heritage alone anyway. It never saved me. It didn't give me peace. No, only Jesus saves us. Only Jesus gives us peace. So Jesus so arranged it so that nothing we can go through he has not already gone through himself. Brother Blake said it. Brother Bill said it. Somebody here today needs to hear that there's better news. Jesus has already gone through it for you. That ought to pull you out of your complaints, pull you out of your self-pity, out of your resentment. He helps us to surrender and say, Lord, Jesus, keep me near the cross. I want you to reach over right now. I want you to pray for somebody on your left and on your right. I, we're done. We're, we're just going to open the altar in just a minute. But I want you to reach over and get a hold of somebody, a friend, and, and pray. God, I pray right now you'd help them to see you in this way today. That voice that says, I am Jesus. Let me understand what it means today. The ramifications of it, what it ought to do to me how I ought to live my life, how I ought to go from here today. Lord, move right now, Lord. Break down that hard heart, Lord, that individual standing here today. They're afraid if one tear starts falling, they're just going to lose it. Lord, I pray right now that they would hear you say, I am Jesus. I came way down for you.